come and go and I'm forever grateful Come and tell me long and slow exactly what I wait for Better times, yeah, better times, somehow I don't believe it I built a house up long ago just to up and leave it Well, if you, uh, you're surprised by a brand new song to open the show, uh, that's wonderful. I, 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 that is On the Highway from Trampled by Turtles, brand new album, Glow, And a huge shout out to Trampled by Turtles and uh, singer, songwriter, and good friend Dave Simonette for allowing... Uh, our organization to use his music as our new show open for On the Wing podcast. I'm super excited, and as anybody knows me, uh, I love the music of uh, of Trampled by Turtles and all of Dave's work. So it's it's a really really um, big honor to be able to introduce the show with uh, the Trampled song. Um, if you're also a Trampled by Turtles music fan, we do have a really special collaboration for membership with Trampled by Turtles. Uh, you can go to pheasantsforever.org slash trampled or quailforever.org slash trampled and get a Trampled by Pheasants or Trampled by Quail t-shirt with your membership through a really, really fun collaboration with the band. Um, all right. So kick it off this episode. We've got, we're I'm going all the way to Sweden to, uh, to stir up this conversation. We're going to, we're going to start national pheasant fest and quail classic this year with our second ever film fest at the Poorhouse in downtown Minneapolis. We've got films lined up. Uh, that evening with our friends at The Flush and Ron Share Productions, they got an Alaska ptarmigan hunt. Uh, we've got our own film from, from Quail Forever about a scaled quail and a Montezuma quail hunt in New Mexico. We also have a pheasant hunt in Minnesota. And our friends at Project Upland have put together two films for us. One about a woodcock hunt in the Northeast and the featured film for this conversation, a Capricali, and we'll see if I'm pronouncing that even close to correct in a minute, um, where we go all the way to Sweden. Well, not we, uh, Project Upland went all the way to Sweden. So really cool Swedish wild grouse hunting adventure. And that film is called Lapland Grouse. And that's what we're going to highlight on today's episode of On The Wing Podcast. Joining me for this episode are Miguel Canaverde. And, and he's grinning because I butchered his name a little bit there. Not terrible. Uh, he's coming to us all the way from Sweden in the middle of the night. And Project Upland filmmaker Kevin Erdvig. Fellas, thank you very much for, for joining me. Miguel, we're, we're going to you start right off with you correcting the pronunciation of your name. I so good. Uh, how, how should I have pronounced your name? Yeah, it was very good. Kind of weird. <laughs> All right. So Miguel Kenerveer. Yes, super good. All right. Thank and, you so much and, for, for the invitation. 
Absolutely. And it, um, for listeners, tell us how late in the night it is there. 11.15, but that's fine. It's not so late uh, for us. We, we, late, uh, we like howls here in Sweden. <laughs> night owls. There we go. Yeah. And then and Kevin just uh, drove through a snowstorm in upstate New York where he's going to close out his rough grouse season. Uh, Kevin, thank you very much for joining us. Where are you, right? And was that whose dog was howling? Somebody's got a pup howling. That's mine downstairs. He was just in the car for five hours and then popped into a house he hasn't been in in a year. So he's uh, he's down there howling. And you, you were mentioning before we hit record that um, rough grouse season goes a little longer in um, the state of New York. Yeah, so I'm from Pennsylvania. Uh, so our season ends uh, right before Christmas. But the, uh, New, uh, the New York season goes through January and February. So... Um, a lot of us Pennsylvanians will, uh, you know, once or twice in the late season, take a hop over the border and uh, try our <laughs> hand at some late, late season grouse. Well, I'm envious because our most of in Minnesota, most of our upland seasons have, well, they all have ended at the end of the year. So uh, I traveled down to Arizona a little bit ago, a couple weeks ago to chase some quail, but um, I packed it in for the season and I'm envious uh, and jealous of your opportunity for one more hunt. Uh, Miguel, let's let's start with a little bit about who you are, why we're, you know, we're calling you in Sweden, but you're not actually from Sweden. Um, tell us tell us about who you are. No, I'm, I'm from, from Portugal originally, so born and raised in, in Portugal. Uh, so if you don't know where Portugal, in the south of Europe, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I, ten years ago I moved to Sweden um, um, due to the, the just the challenging to explore and, and to find new adventures. Didn't uh, didn't expect to stay or didn't plan to stay, but then all this uh, wilderness and this uh, fantastic nature we have here in Sweden uh, caught me here. And what what do you do for a living? Uh, I'm a former landscape architect, and that's what I was working in Portugal before. But when I moved to Sweden, I started working in. Uh, when I moved here, I just wanted a, a quick job and a, a easy thing to 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 hang. So I started working in restoration bars, and uh, I always have a passion for for food and beverage. And and now I work as a restaurant manager in in Gothenburg. Okay. Yeah. And you teased a little bit here, and you talked about it before we hit record that you you moved to sweden um for the adventure but also and you stayed because of the bird hunting in sweden is that accurate yeah yeah a lot of that uh i always have this interest uh, about sweden and scandinavian since a little kid and when i when i landed here i realized okay this is just as i i, I expected and uh yeah naturally um just felt home and ah. and home now I call it home, yeah. But it wasn't not I wasn't planning to stay at all. Okay. No. Huh. Um. So I'm gonna circle back to hunting in in Sweden and your background. I want to bring Kevin back into the conversation and tell us a little bit, Kevin, about your background. Are you a lifelong hunter? And how'd you get in? You're ultimately the filmmaker for Lapland Grouse. And tell us a little bit about how you that came up to be your career? Yeah, so I, um, I went to school at a uh, University of Valley Forge for filmmaking. 
Um, and it was during the last two years of college, uh, I had uh, inherited some guns from my grandfather. I had never gotten to hunt with him, but I knew that he had hunted, um, grew up doing some pheasant hunting in uh, South Central Pennsylvania, um, Southeast Pennsylvania. And um, it was mostly pheasant, but they, they had quail as well and other other game species. But um, I never had a chance to hunt with him. But during my second, third or fourth year of college, I had access to those guns and just, it was something I always wanted to do. Um, I'd only been once before, no one else in my family had hunted besides my grandfather. Hmm. Um, so didn't have much opportunity to do it. And I also lived on Long Island, uh, Long Island, New York. So, um, finding public spaces, uh, to hunt there were difficult. So, um, I had my hunter safety education. My dad had taken me to get that because it was something I always wanted to do. Um, but hadn't, hadn't really jumped into it. Uh, flash forward, fast forward to senior year of college. And I had reached out to Project Upland's Instagram page and was talking to AJ and I watched their films and I was like, this is sweet. This is the kind of stuff I want to do. I want to be in the outdoors filming stories. Uh, so I, I got a test project from AJ and it, it must have gone well because, uh, <laughs> you know, three or four years later, here I am uh, doing doing films for him still. So uh, the, the Upland part of my hunting career really started once I started filming for Project Upland. Mm. Uh, I started traveling. I started meeting the, all these different people from different walks of life with different breeds of dogs, hunting different, you know, species of birds. And it really just took a hold of me. And, uh, now it's pretty much all, all the kind of, all the hunting that I do is pretty much just upland. Uh, mm. I got my, I got an English setter a year and a half ago, and this was our, technically our second season this past fall. And I'm hooked. I'm hooked. <laughs> um, and as far as the, uh, the Lapland film, uh, I had connected with Miguel and it must be, must've been at least a year and a half, two years ago. Uh, on social media through the Project Upland community. And we'd, you know, chatted back and forth about our different game species and where we chase them and dogs and stuff like that. And it was just always in the back of my head that, wow, that'd be really cool to get over there. Um, never thought it happened, but eh, it'd be really cool to get over there. Uh, I had a client in Norway that had uh, flew me out to make a film for them in Norway. Huh. And once, once I remembered that... Uh, you know, um, about our, my conversations with Miguel about, you know, maybe in the future being able to do something. I, I, uh, message him. I was like, Hey, I'm going to be in Scandinavia. Can, can we make something work? And he was like, absolutely. So I, uh, talked to AJ and Jennifer over at project Upland and one thing led to another and we had something on the books. So I went over, filmed my Norwegian film and then went back across the border and met up with, uh, Miguel in a uh, IKEA parking lot. It's about as Swedish as it gets. <laughs> Did you eat meatballs and lingerberries? Oh yes, oh yes. Not not with Miguel, but I I definitely did that uh, before he got there. <laughs> um, uh, well, kudos to you for taking a, you know a couple of leaps of faith, like just reaching out on Instagram and you know basically creating a career for yourself through having the courage to just chase your dream. That's, that's very cool, Kevin. Um, you know, Miguel, from your side of the thing, like you're getting a message through social media from a guy in the U S like, Hey, can I come film you? Like, 
comfortable right out of the shoot or was that awkward no it's totally fine i i really love that that uh, those opportunities like sharing the our knowledge and our experience mm. and and just uh gather it's like um it's something that i miss here with uh, in in europe uh, uh that's why I, i'm very impressed with your community in, in the us because it's it looks so so natural for you guys to 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 cooperate that way but here's not so so like that so i felt i felt that, that was a great idea and 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 uh, happy that happened so you're in Sweden following Project Upland on social media. So you're obviously passionate about bird hunting. Was that always the case? Did you bird hunt in Portugal? Did you move to Sweden to bird hunt? Like, tell me the story of your, your kind of hunting life. Yeah, bird, birds and, and hunting has been always there. Um, so all my family been always hunting, not birds. Uh, and I developed this passion for birds, actually. So, um, but I have this passion for hunting, for birds, and for dogs, which led for bird, bird, bird hunting with pointing dogs. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and yeah, since I was very, very, very little, I, I had this interest. Um, uh, I think that the, the the film will will talk a little bit about that also. And. Um, it, and in Portugal, it's totally different. I always felt a bit in the south of Europe, the way we hunt and 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 uh, the culture of hunting. I always felt was a bit unattractive um, uh, in a certain way. So for me, it was more the the wild the wilderness in the in the north. Um, mm. I always have this call from the north, and and um, I made it happen. And then, uh, uh, oh. Okay. Mm. My perspective never been hunting in Europe is that much of Europe is you have to be pretty wealthy to have access to go hunting. I don't have that perspective of Scandinavia, Finland, Sweden, Norway, for whatever reason, my exposure feels like, well, there's a lot more public land and a lot more access, but, but Portugal, it's kind of a rich person's um pastime or opportunity is that an accurate assessment of majority of europe versus scandinavia or is that too too broad a brush to stroke yeah no i i wouldn't say like that exactly because you get you get you know you go to every small town in the south of europe both portugal spain italy france you go to every small small village or town and there's always a bunch of people hunting uh, and mm. they're not necessarily wealthy you know it's it's uh it's very into the, into, the, into the traditions and the culture of people. Of course, then that people hunts in very restricted areas. They have like they hunt all their lives every Sunday during the hunting season in the same plots. Uh, but then, if you want to to be a, and that, that's the difference makes a difference between them and the, those more wealthies that that people can hunt in a different in different areas and, and travel and blah blah blah. But uh, it's it's mix mix 50 50 uh, mm. while in the north of europe um it's 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 hard to put it like that uh, uh between uh but it, yeah there's more public land there's more access it's more easy to hunt definitely in, in some way mm. um but it's different yeah the, the the areas here are huge while in the south of europe are small plots uh, uh it's a lot of uh, pen released game uh, in mm. the north of Sweden, the north of Europe is wild game mostly. Um, it's two different things. Um, okay. Tell me, um, all right, so the, the north of Europe, 
Scandinavia, Sweden in particular, what are you hunting? What what are the bird species that that you're out there chasing? Uh, you can hunt from, you know, I, I especially hunt grouses, forest grouses, what we call forest grouses. Um, and that's the black grouse, capercaillie. Um, yeah, black grouse, capercaillie. Then I hunt a lot of woodcock also. We have the European woodcock, which is a bit larger and a bit more... Uh, um maybe challenging than your your than the american one maybe i don't mm. want to be unfair but uh, <laughs> uh from what i see <laughs> uh now now you can't knock them till you hunt them miguel yeah yeah exactly no but the, from what i see our woodcocks are a bit more um they walk more i would i would say that maybe they're more related with the behavior you see there with the with the raft grouse mm. our woodcocks are tricky very tricky mm. birds also. Yeah, I hunt a lot of woodcock uh, in the west coast of Sweden. We have a very, very important migration spots here. So I have mm. woodcock all season. But then I, um, we hunt the black grouse and the capricet, as I said. And it's sometimes also the, the, the willow grouse or the willow ptarmigan. But mm. then in Sweden, there's people hunting a lot of um, pheasant and um, uh, hunt, uh, what's the name? Part, uh, the hunt, the Hungarian partridge. Yeah, okay. exactly. Uh, in the south most pen-released great uh, birds um, in the south of Sweden. We have a lot more fields and, and um, agricultural agricultural areas, so you can hunt them. So the capricales look almost as big as our wild turkeys. They're, they, they, they look giant to me. Are they really that big, and how do they flush? Because you kind of took a swipe at American woodcock being a little bit easy. <laughs> Well, I'll, I'll reverse that on you and say the capricalis seem like you couldn't miss. Well, it's, it's, yeah, it seemed like that, but it's a bit more complicated, <laughs> you know. I don't, those birds are, are, are huge, yes, yes. Yeah. The old, the old capricalis males can, can be, can be huge. Uh, five kilo, between five and six kilograms. Um, that's, that's uh, a big bird, you know, and, and the, yeah, the flush, if you, if you have a flush in open, in open space, it's a, it's quite an easy shot, but they handle very well the shots also. So, mm. um, the birds can keep going a lot, uh, with a shot. So, uh, the okay. big ones also, so, yeah. So what and, shot size do you have to use to be effective with a Capricelli? For a big adult male, like on the five kilo range, I would say the four. Um, okay. Yeah, but those birds you don't find as as much. So I use I usually use like a, a four, five, six because I uh, when you do when you do black uh, capercaillie, you also do black grouse, the same okay. habitat. So you, I don't want to, you know, destroy the meat of black grouses. Sure. Uh, yeah, but if you go for the black, uh, for, sorry, for the old Capricelli males, then I would go for three or four. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And is uh, Capricelli and black grouse are they are white meat birds, red meat birds, right. one of each, or? I, I think it's red meat, but we had this talk with Kevin. He, yeah, you thought they were red, also, right? Uh, I I would call them dark. Okay. So they weren't like, it wasn't like a duck breast where it's uh -huh. like, you know, almost like a steak, like red meat, yep. but it was definitely darker than a pheasant. Okay. Yeah. Um, so. And so I'm assuming during the filming, you captured some Capricalis on film, right, Kevin? Mm -hmm. So how, wh what size would you equate them with 
to an American bird? Oh, I mean, there was this one flush where a big group of them, uh, Chica uh, Miguel's Bracco Italiano was working them along this bog. And by the time they were at the flush point, it was like Jake turkeys coming out of a tree. Okay. Wow. They were just, they were massive birds. Hmm. Um, and the, the first night we, we went out and walked on a piece of land and didn't have the guns with us. Uh, we were just walking to take a look and stretch the legs. And some birds took off and it was so loud. I looked at Miguel and I was like, that has to be the Capricali, right? Like that was a, such a big noise. He was like, no, that was the black grouse just, mm. and to hear the other birds. Um, so I didn't, they didn't have like the thunder of a rough grouse, but okay. it was like, you could tell there was a big bird moving. Hmm. Um, and it was, it was really cool. So black grouse compared to Capricali's, are they similar in size or one bigger than the other? Black grouse are smaller. Okay. They're uh, they're they're probably closer to like a, a dusky, um, a dusky grouse. So bigger than a rough grouse, mm -hmm. but not not as big as a sage grouse. Okay, very fun. You you guys are selling me on going to Sweden for sure. Um, <laughs> you must. I, it, <laughs> yeah, um, I know a big piece of, uh, of of bird hunting for you, like it is in the states, is uh, the bird dog connection. And, uh, you know, again, when we were chatting before we hit record, mentioned I had been to Italy. And your first question is, did you see a lot of Broncos there? <laughs> so you obviously have a favorite bird dog breed. Tell me about how that uh, came to be. Oh, yeah. That's a long story. Um, no, um, since I was uh, like my, in my 15, 16, my, my father is a uh, dog breeder also for, for mm. many years. So I was being, I've been always around dogs and very interested in dog breeds um, and at this, that age you know my teenager time I started checking all these breeds and what oh what pointing dog should I have what one is my favorite what gonna you know and first was the, the, the English pointer I end up having a German pointer uh, and then I decided now I, I I need to go for a Braco Italiano Mm. Um, and it was mostly because you know I checked uh, every. This was everything online at the time, and uh, we're talking about almost twenty years ago. And then um, when I was on field trials in Portugal, I would see like pointers and German pointers performing in a different way. I would see um, those same breeds in real hunting situations. Uh, then I go to the dog shows because my father did dog shows also, and I would see the dogs were morphological different from the dogs I would see performing in hunting or in trials and for me mm -hmm. this never makes sense uh, I'm very into these breeds and 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 and, and um, you know preservation of and and, and mostly preservation of, of, of the breeds as they are and the, their story and their, their heritage and for me this this makes sense when I got to know the Braco then I realized the same dogs were performing on the trials were hunting in a way or were performing in a way that was the way they also could hunt. You wouldn't see extremely dogs like you see the German pointers in European trials. You'd see, no, I would never use this dog in, in hunting. This is crazy. Mm. This is too much Isabrance. This is too much. Um, and then also the dogs that were winning uh, on dog shows were the same, were hunting champions. And this makes a lot of, a lot of logic for me. And, and I got to more, more I, got, I, got, I got into more more and more, I mean, um, into the breed and the, the, the Italian culture, and uh, I, get, I just got stuck. Uh, I thought it was super <laughs> interesting, yeah. And, and, and there so are, how, sorry. 
No, no. That, no. Do you have one or multiple? Uh, right now I have one, but okay. I had um, I have had like five. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, my first one uh, I imported from Hungary. Um, and the thing, the thing with the brackets, I could say, is like it's very hard to find the good ones. When you have a good one, is that that's the main difference between Bracus and maybe some other breeds because they are so so difficult to find the, the good ones. Uh, the, the the breed looks so special that everyone that a lot, a lot of breeders focus on the morphology aspect and uh, neglecting the, the the functional part. So you you find a lot of dogs that that doesn't um, doesn't uh, how you say doesn't um, fit what the breed should be. Okay. So uh, unfortunately, uh, which is negative for the breed, and then it's hard to find a, 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 a good one, of course. So it took me a few ones to to get uh, to get chicken. Actually, when I got chicken, the, the current one, I realized, okay, then now I'm safe. <laughs> I'm fine with this one because just before I was thinking about to get an English setter, and then mm-hmm. now I'm gonna I'm gonna give it another try. <laughs> yeah. Kevin, did you try to talk him into an English setter? He he said if he was to get another breed, it'd be an English setter. Yeah. So I said, have your fun with a couple more Broncos and then come to the dark side. <laughs> what when you're out and about in Sweden, what other dogs are there? Is there a most popular bird dog breed that you see other bird hunters using in Sweden? Yes, uh, the English setters definitely, um, but the, I think the German pointers are the most popular. Uh, mm. Though though they're not. Hundred percent used just on birds, so they they have a little bit of the the German culture of of of, um, of hunting. So there's a lot of people that does big game hunting and also bird bird hunting, and then they use the the German pointers. Okay. Um, yeah, because so, the 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 percent sorry the percentage of bird hunters in Sweden is very small compared with the big oh, uh, big game hunt. Yeah, very very small. Oh. That's what I was going to, you're taking me right where I wanted to go was, you know, when you're out and about bird hunting, are you seeing a lot of other people or is there competition for spots or when you go to the wilderness, you're like, you're all by yourself? Uh, Usually, yes. Usually, yes. Uh, In the north, in the north, yes. It's very hard in the south to get a place to hunt because mm. it's um you need to make, be part of a hunting team uh so you need to get to know people they need to trust you and they, they don't want bird hunters there because they just hunt deer and moose you know yeah. and then it's very difficult to to get into a good uh, area but in the north is uh, it's a public land and then it's just to 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 get to find the best ways and it's in the first week uh, of opening, yeah, you can find a lot of hunters. First, mostly Norwegian because they the hunting the opening here is earlier, so they mm-hmm. come a lot to to Sweden. Um, but after the first week, you, you can you rarely see someone actually. Hmm. All right, so you're out. You got your Bracco. Tell me about how you approach a Capricali hunt. Um, are they birds that run do they live in groups uh, do you get do you, um, do you get a lot of points at capricalis like what's what's kind of a standard day out in the field for you if yeah if we go for the capricali first depends of the season time of the year um in the beginning of the season the birds are still in in flocks uh in coves hmm. and um I go a lot for the wet areas where they still uh, some creeks and and uh, 
they have cover where they have cover and fee and 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 food um yeah but then then in the, the as the season gets uh, going they start to separate they, they spread more the, the individuals and this it's a bit more tricky um and then also you have the the old males that they they're not together with these groups they are they are they are huh. they are uh, in the, they obviously say they are um, solitary Solo. yeah, yeah. Exactly, and there's a totally different approach because uh, you need to go for the old, old forests um, with a lot of Ooh. cover in the ground, um, and it's a, a difficult approach. Approach because the birds also behave a bit different. Like the old capricorn males are, are birds that run a lot, run, run, run a lot, and they they sense you very, very, very in advance. So you have a lot. Of, you, your dog will let you know that um, there was a bird here. And most of the times, it's it's very hard to keep up. Uh, hmm. Sometimes you 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 you're lucky, and the dog nails the the, the situation. Uh, but they are very very difficult birds. Actually, I think it's the most difficult bird I have hunted. Is the old Capricorn male? Yeah. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's birds that walk a lot. Uh, you need a dog that is cautionary also, so doesn't go so instinctively to the bird to the body scent is a dog that uh, needs to have experience to to put in, in in shooting situation um, because they walk a lot they they try to go to the edges of the of the forests then they flush on the edges if mm -hmm. you're lucky um, so it's a lot of thing be behind and you improvise you need to take decisions while you're hunting where you go where not to go the birds mm -hmm. flush there let's try to go there and there think about the habitat it's a lot of planning and that I think that's mm. the, a very funny part because it, it brings you really to that uh, uh, hunting dimension that uh, you don't know what's gonna happen you need mm -hmm. to plan um, and decide it's very nice when you talk about old big male capricales i think well that's probably a challenge and they're they're fun from a trophy perspective but if they're great big old birds they maybe don't taste super good because they're they're old and say is, is that accurate oh that's accurate yeah okay just just after um kevin was here the ones we got with kevin were i think were young birds from the sea from the from the year uh and uh, just just after uh not after just in i think when the beginning of november then i went there with another friend uh and we got a five kilo male mm. and it was a, a huge bird i think it was my biggest one and uh i tell you that bird was hard to eat Mm. It yeah, uh, five kilos is eleven pounds. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah. Oh, sorry. That that is a big bird. Oh yeah. It's a very big bird. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's a monster. So <laughs> the, the, usually they they do like um, how do you call it in English uh, when you cook the meat for a long time? A stew, right? It's a slow cook stew, crock pot. Yeah, yep. with a lot of uh, sauces and uh, yeah. <laughs> other flavors to to camouflage yeah. that uh, intense yeah. game yeah. game f uh, flavor and smell. It's mm. it's. Um, but the young bird, the young birds is totally different. Uh, um, we had uh, we 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 ate uh, when Kevin was here, and they are uh, taste a bit gamey, of course, but very 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 tasty, very nothing um, nothing scary. <laughs> Uh, how would you equate them, Kevin? Anything that you'd compare them to? The the black grouse was pretty similar to to rough grouse, in my opinion. The um, 
the capricali it was it wasn't like turkey mm. it, it was like the you know the breasts were huge mm -hmm. like a like a turkey breast but um it, it was a very interesting interesting flavor and definitely different and i mean a lot of that's probably based on what they eat i right. mean up there during that time of year it was like exclusively um blueberries mm. um so uh so yeah it was definitely different than than anything i've had before cool and the black grouse are they um in the where you guys hunted the capricalis did you encounter black grouse too kevin yeah, so we 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 encountered three species: the capricali, the black grouse, and also the uh, the willow ptarmigan. Okay. Um, so it, we were in a pretty unique spot where they were like, their habitats were just crossing. Uh, the willow ptarmigan, a lot of times you would find. Correct me if I'm wrong here, Miguel, but in higher elevation. Mm. And we were hunting right at the base of a mountain, um, right right in a uh, this boggy area that was you know abutting the mountain. Uh, so they were they were a fun bycatch that we stumbled upon as mm. well, and they had a cool covey rise and stuff. So that was that was really neat. Um, but yeah, the the black grouse and the and the capricali were in pretty pretty similar covers. It was definitely interesting because um, I was looking over maps with Miguel and stuff and doing some e scouting beforehand, and I was really no help because I'm I if I'm chasing grouse, I'm looking for cuts. I'm looking for you know mm -hmm. ten to fifteen year old cuts, and the uh the birds there require a really old forest mm. uh so it's like old big mature trees and they were you know a lot of coniferous trees that had branches that come all the way down so by no means was it like walking through you know an old oak stand mm -hmm. you know like when i say old forest i don't mean like you know when you look around and you're like wow this is terrible grouse habitat there's nothing to hide and there was definitely still clumps of things mm. and cover for them to be in but it was not like slapping you in the face like you're in a grouse cover okay um, huh. so definitely a definitely very unique uh and then there were just throw in some mud pits that uh you sink up to your uh up to your waist in uh, i i've never been to alaska but i would assume you know that whole kind of tundra feel is very similar to what it is over there so let's pull on that thread just a little bit further because that's the question i was going to ask like compare and contrast the hunting you've done to what you did in, in, in Sweden, like, oh yeah, this surprised the hell out of me because it was so different. This was like, you know, we do that all the time in the States. Like anything strike you when you think about comparing and contrasting? Uh, some, some similarities right off the bat is even though the covers were different, they were still edge covers mm. that where, where we found the most birds. Our, our best cover that we found was, was basically, bog everywhere and then through it was this winding mature um trees and really now that i'm thinking about it even more the reason i bet those trees were there is because it followed a creek hmm. that was coming off the mountain of spring um, and it would often go underground and then come back up but it was definitely separate from the bog and the mushy marsh was a stream coming through and around that stream were the big mature trees so our best cover was completely surrounded by blueberry bogs with some mature stands throughout it almost like a river of mature trees mm. coming through the bog so you know war working behind a, a pointing dog with these birds was similar with the um kind of they're running ahead dogs kind of following and you're trying to get up ahead of the dog mm. and they would almost always flush on the edge mm. um 
you know, just like a rough grouse is going to run that cover until he hits a road or until he hits an old stand. You know, normally you have someone on the outside because mm-hmm. that's where they're going to flush. So it was, it was similar to that um, in that, you know, birds of the edge, birds of the, um, the edge cover. And that's, that's often where they flush to. Mm-hmm. Anything strike you as like, whoa, that was completely different than we would do things. It's funny um, because really, no, yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty, pretty similar to a, you know, a, I'm again, I've only hunted rough grouse in New England and Minnesota and, and, and some of uh, Appalachia, um, but pretty, pretty similar, okay. pretty similar, just different, different cover. And, you know, at the end, there's a much different bird. Right. Um, uh, Miguel, if you, if you think about like, okay, so here's Kevin experienced something completely new. What's, what's your bucket list? Like, yeah, you, you know, you live in Sweden and chase these birds that many of us can only dream of ever experiencing. What's the reverse? What's on your list? Like, oh yeah, I'm doing that before I die. He's coming to New Hampshire grouse camp. Yeah, definitely. definitely. That's what he's doing. You know what? I never thought about it because uh, this was my dream. Uh, what I'm living now was my dream. Uh, that's the top of my back, at least. Actually, mm. uh, it's still it's still new for me. Um, but there's so many things, of course, uh, and especially in North America. I mean, uh, rough grouse definitely is like something I want to try. Uh, all the sage grouse, the those prairie grouses, I mean, uh, definitely, I think uh, when it comes to upland hunting, it's, it's the, top, the top of my list. I mean, mm. something I need to, to try, absolutely. As you think, as these Capricalian black grouse are exotic and uh, lifetime experience, I think it's the same about your grouses. I mean, um, something to, to do, certainly. Yeah, that's, that's fun. Would you, would you travel across the ocean with your own dog? um oh yeah okay absolutely absolutely (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) all right um so you know we're teasing here lapland grouse gotta be a part of the film fest i don't want to give away the entire film but kevin set set the film up for us so as people listen to this it's only a couple of days before the film fest in minneapolis um, set the stage for us. What's, um, what are they going to see when they watch this film? They're going to see some of the most beautiful scenery to hunt birds in. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just when I was, when I was in Scandinavia, I was just every, every corner had a different view that was just stunning. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, and the birds are truly, truly beautiful birds. And to be able to hunt them in such a cool place is really really something special uh so we we basically we we go up and we spend some time uh based out of a out of a cabin and we see some really cool cover and we hear miguel's story which is just a heartwarming classic Mm -hmm. um upland hunting experience story but you know so different because it's in a different place uh so it's it's just a it's a really cool opportunity to um experience something that most people never get to experience in person so to be able to go over there and capture it was just uh you know an honor and it's really cool to be able to share it and three species on film is that right yeah three species nice well done with some pretty with some pretty cool uh um 
dog work on captured and then also shooting captured as well great so the world premiere is at pheasant fest film fest right mm -hmm. if people can't make it to the film fest which you know we're recording uh on february the third it's not sold out yet but by the time that we roll this podcast out it's likely sold out so What's the plan for Project Upland's release of the film? Do you know the release date? Yeah, so I don't know the exact date, but I do know that it's the title film to go with our spring issue okay. of the magazine. Um, the spring issue, the, the front of the magazine actually has Miguel and Chica on it. And uh, I wrote an article about, you know, my experience over there. So uh, it'll release with that with that magazine. So spring issue when and when that when that drops so will so will the uh film projectupland.com correct that people can sign up mm -hmm. and subscribe yeah project upland yep you can subscribe on projectupland.com and uh the uh film will be linked in the magazine but it will also you know be on youtube as well outstanding and i'm certain it'll be on um links on instagram and facebook and pushing people to when it's released right yeah yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so it'll it'll be pushed that way, and then the magazine will have the story and you know the the photos that that went along with it. Cool. Um, I'm going to ask you each for your your closing thoughts here as we wind down. It's almost midnight in Sweden, so we got <laughs> Miguel's got to uh, get to bed at some point. Um, I, I'll, I'll remind it uh, pheasantfest.org. You can uh, find all the information about upcoming National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic, Minneapolis Convention Center, February 17th, 18th, and 19th. Um, as this episode of On the Wing podcast goes live, slated for Wednesday, February 15th, the Film Fest will be on the evening of February the 16th. If you can't find it on the website, we're likely sold out, but you can email me at bobs at pheasantsforever.org. Find out if there are any tickets left for the Film Fest at the Poor House in downtown Minneapolis, where Lapland Grouse will make its world premiere, and uh, Miguel will be one of the featured stars, the Brad Pitt of uh, Scandinavian bird hunting. Probably never been equated to that before, have you, Miguel? Never, <laughs> never. <laughs> uh, well, I will, uh, I'll give, uh, I'll give Kevin first uh, closing thoughts. What, what do you want to leave people with as we close down this episode, Kevin? Um, I think uh, just the power of community is a really cool thing. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, this opportunity for me to go over and experience Miguel's way of hunting and the Swedish way of hunting, uh, these incredible birds wouldn't have happened. So community is really powerful, whether that's, you know, the Project Upland community, which overlaps a lot with the, uh, you know, the Pheasants Forever community, but uh, festivals like Pheasant Fest and the magazine and films like this really have a way of drawing us all together, even in our uniqueness. Yeah, so. that, that's incredibly well said, especially, you know, coming from your journey here, you know, reaching out on Instagram to getting a job to, you know, flying over the ocean to go film a, uh, a bird hunt. That's pretty awesome. Well said. Uh, Miguel, 
Mic drop time. What's your closing thought for, uh, Ke- for this episode? You know, Kevin just told my 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 line. <laughs> Uh, yeah. it's, it, but I thought about the same. It's like the power of community and um, to people to dare to travel to hunt uh, overseas and just see new things and share experiences and knowledge. Mm-hmm. I think it's such a rich, rich thing and and so so interesting for, for and important for the for the whole community of hunters, especially in these hard times that we have so many people um against hunting you know it's mm. it's so important to to see other things to get ideas to get um i would say to get in, inspired for other cultures also to get the best of every culture when it comes to hunting yeah. um yeah uh, that leads me to two final questions i'm sorry i would keep you uh, <laughs> is there a big anti-hunting movement in sweden is that something that you face on a regular basis not in Sweden, unfortunately. There is some some organized uh, antis, but uh, it's a strong. Uh, there's a strong hunting culture in Sweden, okay. uh, which is and people, most of the people, the non-hunters and all the communities understand hunting, and that's because the way they do the things here. It's a very very uh, ethical, sustainable mm. way of thinking hunting. Um, and that's uh, people understand that people understand the importance of hunting uh, in all ways. So, but in the rest of Europe, there is there is especially in in the UK, this is very difficult, mm. and it's in the south of Europe also in some countries. But fortunately, in the Scandinavian, um, we find. What about um, conservation in organizations like Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever and Rough Grouse Society? Are those is there a Kappa Kali's Unlimited in Sweden? Unfortunately not. Ooh. Unfortunately not. But um, it's it's a little bit about the culture also. They the and and it's still a, such a huge resource and, and, and they have so much land and so much opportunity here. There's not been yet that that's need, I think. But for yeah. example, on on the, the on the hands, how do you call it, the game partridge and other some other birds. I think it was would be necessary, and you see that happening already in Europe. Um, it's a it's a it's a species that has been has been suffer from the modern agriculture. But so while we'll, while we have forests, wild forests, uh, old forests, uh, there will be uh, grouses still. So that will um, we don't have that kind of organizations, but um, for for a good reason, I think. Because they mm. don't need it. They don't need. I think. I hope. <laughs> mm. Well, that's it, it, It's good that you have the habitat, right? It all comes back to that having the right habitat on the ground. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Miguel, exactly. Kevin, thank you so very much for sharing the story of this film, for staying up super late in Sweden with us. Uh, it's been re- a real pleasure. I can't wait to to actually see the film in just a couple of days. Super. All right. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Uh, I'm Bob St. Pierre thanking you for listening. If you're not yet a member of Pheasants Forever or Quail Forever, please check us out, pheasantsforever.org or quailforever.org. Or better yet, come to the Film Fest. Come to Pheasant Fest. You can learn all about what's coming up this week, pheasantfest.org. I'm Bob St. Pierre reminding you to always follow the dog. Something good will rise. Thanks for listening, folks.